On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we break down the Terps' huge series win in Champaign over the Fighting Illini last weekend. Plus, we sit down with Terps senior shortstop and captain A.J. Lee to talk about his career so far with the Terps and how his game has evolved in four years in College Park. Plus, we're joined by Amit Malik of WNUR Sports, who covers the Northwestern Wildcats baseball team, as he gives us an, some insight on what the Terps should expect this weekend when they travel to Evanston to take on Northwestern. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Connor Newcomb. Welcome into episode number 64 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, joined by Zach Solon. And Zach, well, we bring you a lot better news this week on the podcast. Last week, coming off a weekend in which the Terps gave up 39 runs in two games. This time, it's a weekend in which the Terps got their biggest two wins of the year, taking two out of three on the road against Illinois. Probably the best RPI wins this season for the Terps as they jumped way up in the RPI. They're now in the top 80. They were sitting near the bottom part of the 100s in the RPI for a while, but a nice good weekend, two out of three, and it was just huge to see the Terps get some road Big Ten wins. Well, you know what, Maryland, or Connor, I have to say, Maryland was uh, a little worrying after that Indiana series because Indiana's a really good team in the Big Ten, and Illinois is arguably just as good, if not better, than Indiana. So when you're going on the road to Champaign like they were, you don't really know what to expect. You got a really good start from Hunter Parsons against Indiana, and then he was just as good on Friday, and then you have the doubleheader uh, put upon you on Saturday, and you have to rise to the occasion. That's exactly what Maryland did, taking two out of three on the road against a good team like Illinois, who just a week ago was ranked in the top 25. That is really, really good. So the first game, the Terps took it 4-2 to two to take a one nothing series lead on Friday night, but it did not seem like that was going to be the case. Illinois struck first in that one. Obviously, the matchup of the aces, the left-hander, the redshirt senior Andy Fisher for Illinois, and the senior Hunter Parsons for Maryland. Fisher and Parsons were dealing, but Illinois loaded the bases with nobody out in the second. Three straight singles early in the count against Parsons. And then an RBI sack fly from Michael Mahalik made it one nothing. Ben Troike followed it up with a sack fly to make it 2 nothing. That was all Illinois would get. And then Parsons settled in, as did Fisher. The Terps' offense against Fisher after they went down 2-0 just couldn't get anything going. We're pretty much down 2-0. We're going down quickly in all of these innings. The Andy Fisher pitch count was way down. At one point, he was in the seventh inning, and he had just hit his 60th pitch. He was just mowing through the lineup. And that wasn't a good sign for the Terps. But on the other side, for Hunter Parsons to be able to keep it at 2-0 and keep battling, that ended up being huge in Friday night's game. Well, that's exactly what you need, Connor, especially when you're not trailing by too much, when it was just 2 nothing going into those later innings. Hunter Parsons gave up the runs, but then really shut him down, which is exactly what we saw him do against Indiana in his previous start. So he's had some rocky, I don't want to say starts, because right off the bat he was fine, but he gives up some runs in the middle innings, and then once he's able to lock it in again, he seems to come in waves, you know? So he has, he has one really good start, and then he'll be a little rocky, give up a couple runs, but if he's able to lock down after that, get back into his rhythm, he's going to be really good for the Terps, and then finally they came up with the big, I don't want to say hits, because it was a couple of bunts and a pass ball, but, but some big opportunities that they took advantage of. Well, it did start with the hits in the inning, and Andy Fisher, who had rolled through eight scoreless, comes back out in the ninth after Hunter Parsons had finished his start. He went eight innings, allowed two runs on six hits, two strikeouts, three walks. He was great again, got the Terps all the way to the ninth. Thought Hunter Parsons might get a complete game loss, which doesn't happen very often, but he had gone through eight with his team down 2 nothing. But the Terps bats finally woke up. They entered the ninth inning with just one hit against Andy Fisher. That was a one-out double by Justin Vogt back in the fifth inning. That was the only hit for Maryland so far. And A.J. Lee on the first pitch, Singles through the left side. Your senior leader gets the tying run to the plate. The very next batter, Randy Bednar, ropes one down the right field line the other way for a two-bagger, makes it second and third with nobody out, and the Terps have the tying run in scoring position with nobody out, down two to nothing, and bringing their best hitter to the plate in Taylor Wright. Now, an interesting decision, Taylor Wright, the Big Ten leader in doubles, a double ties the game, but also Taylor Wright's the best bunter on this Maryland team. And he got down a sack bunt 
scoring Lee from third. Bednar went second to third, right thrown out for the first out. And, you know, there's a debate of whether or not you should bunt there. It ended up working for the Terps. But it's an interesting look at what they should do because you have your best hitter up. And you think, if he gets a hit, we could tie the game. But you also have your best bunter up, and you basically are guaranteed one run because you know he's going to get one down. So it was interesting to see what Ron Vaughn wanted to do there. Well, Connor, I know you're not a fan of the bunt, so I think the Terps are lucky that you weren't coaching them there because I think Rob Vaughn made a good choice having Taylor Wright bunt there because you mentioned he really had a lot of success with it so far this year and last season as well. So he's able to get this one down, and it got that run in, and that's a big momentum shift there. So you don't know you're facing uh, you know, a tough Illinois pitching staff, especially late in the game there. So when Taylor Wright puts that bunt down, I mean, it got that rally started. And that would end the day for Andy Fisher. His pitch count was not high at all. He was not close to nearing 100. He was in the early 80s in pitch count, and he came out of the game after he had mowed down Terps hitters. He had nine strikeouts at that point and just a one run across. And he had already gotten Maxwell Costas out three times, but with the righty and the big power hitter Costas coming to the plate, Illinois went to its closer, the junior right-hander Garrett Acton. And, I mean, that's probably a good move. He had come in 10 for 10 on saves. He had just saved the previous two games against Coastal Carolina and two big midweek wins for Illinois. And he hadn't allowed an earned run all season. So you're going to the right guy there. Acton comes in against Costas, and Costas a good battle at the plate. Acton ends up hitting him with a fastball. So the Terps get first and third with one away. Caleb Walls comes to the plate, and what do the Terps do? They go to the bunt again. Caleb Walls gets down the bunt, but this time Acton fields and flips home. It wasn't in in time. So that was really a big moment in the game. On the Taylor Wright bunt, he was thrown at it first. On the Caleb Walls bunt, the throw came home. Bednar scored, and the Terps still had two on base, and that continues a rally. Exactly, Connor. That ended up being the difference maker there. So now Acton also is pitching in a situation that he really hasn't been in before. He gave up a run, and granted it wasn't his, but, I mean, it still comes in, into play there. And then Caleb Walls is, 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 it grounds in their um, region on the fielder's choice, technically, with the, with the bunt moved over. So then now you've got... Um, a runner on second, runner on first, and now um, Michael Panero coming into pinch run. Yeah, and the Terps do go with Michael Panero to pinch run at second base for Maxwell Costas, and that ended up being a big decision. Costas does a lot of things well. The one thing he doesn't do well is run. He is one of the slower guys on the team. Panero much faster and can fill in right away at first base defensively as the Terps had just tied the game at two and knew they were coming back out for defense in the bottom of the ninth. Then Justin Vogt came up, and this was really a key plate appearance. He saw a lot of pitches and worked a walk on a 3-2 count to load the bases. And that brought up Josh McGuire, the freshman DH who was kind of just thrust into the starting lineup this weekend after hitting that homer against Indiana last weekend. And he didn't come up with the big hit. He ended up striking out in that at-bat. But by the time he struck out, the Terps had taken the lead on a wild pitch that got by the catcher, Jeff Cordy. It was an incredible dirt ball read from Panero, the pinch runner at third base. He comes in to score, and then as Cordy tries to flip the ball to the plate to the pitcher, Acton, it gets by him. And what a read it was from Caleb Walls, who was on second base. He never stopped going second to third, saw the throw get away, and came home to score on the error. So two runs scored on the wild pitch, and the Terps led 4-2. to two. McGuire and Cows would strike out to end the inning. But Acton had blown his first save of the season, and then John Murphy comes in for the save, and the Terps closer locked it down. A couple of strikeouts. He got his sixth save, and out of nowhere, the Terps came up with probably their best win of the season. Well, that's one thing, Connor, that, you know, Maryland's had a pretty up-and-down season, sitting at 500 again now. But one thing they haven't done all year is give up in late innings. Even in some times where they've been down by a lot, we saw it in the Creighton series, even against Indiana, they were down by a lot but still managed to get some runs in the late innings, and this time it's exactly where it paid off. Only trailing by two, tied it, and took the lead, and they really took advantage of Illinois' mistakes, too. A wild pitch and a throwing error, you're able to get two runs on one pitch that, you know, a batter didn't even swing at. So that's a big at-bat there for Josh McGuire to, or not really a big at-bat for McGuire, but really just a really good job by the Terps runners and coaches to send them. And then on day number two of the series, it was supposed to be just one game, but because of impending weather on Sunday, the Illini and the Terps moved games two and three to a Saturday doubleheader that was moved up and began at one o'clock. It was Ty Weber on the mound against Zach Thompson 
in game number two. And both pitchers pitched very well. It was a scoreless game through four innings. Illinois got on the board in the fifth after a defensive mistake in right field from Michael Panero, who got the start in right. He dove to a ball he probably shouldn't have. It got by him and turned into a leadoff triple for Grant Van Scoy. The freshman catcher, Jacob Campbell, scored him with an RBI ground out, and that was a one nothing lead for Illinois. Again, the Terps couldn't get anything going against the starter, Ty Weber, who really doesn't have the best stuff in the world, but he hits all his spots, he mixes pitches well, and he was getting through this Terps order with ease. And then Zach Thompson, who was also having a great start, just made one too many pitches over the plate, and in the seventh inning, with two outs and a runner on, Jacob Campbell comes up big again. A two-run homer made it a 3-0 Illini lead in the seventh. And you kind of felt at 1-0 the Terps were down as Zach Thompson was still rolling along. You felt like if it stays 1-0, the Terps can finally get this hit. But once it got to 3, and Thompson had a great start, but once he, it got to 3, that really put the Terps in a tough position because of how the offense wasn't hitting at all. It really did, Connor. And that's kind of a trend we've noticed in Zach Thompson's starts as of late is that Illinois gets those runs, but Thompson really doesn't get that that run support there from Maryland, and it didn't come at all in this game. And then, like you said, when we were talking before we went on for this podcast, it really just came down to Maryland not being able to get the hits. And three runs doesn't seem like that much of a deficit, but for this team, it was. Ty Weber for this Illini team. He ended up giving up one run. It was a solo shot to lead off the eighth inning by Josh McGuire with the Terps down 3 nothing. Again, if it's a one nothing game, who knows if he still hits it, but that would have ended up tying the game. Instead, it made it a 3-1 to ball game. Ty Weber, the starter for Illinois, ends up going seven and two-thirds, allowing one run on four hits, struck out three batters, no walks, and did hit a batter. Zach Thompson on the other side came back out in the bottom of the eighth with the Terps down three to one to try and steal some outs, but he walked the leadoff man, Michael Massey, and then was pulled in favor of Mark DeLuya, and two more runs ended up scoring with DeLuya on the mound in the bottom of the eighth on a two-RBI single with the bases loaded and two outs off the bat of Grant Van Scoy who had a great game in game one Saturday. Three hits, a single, double, a triple, two RBIs, and two runs scored. That made it a 5-1 game. Thompson's final line, seven innings, four runs on five hits, a strikeout, three walks, and a hit batter. So he was solid, but just maybe made a couple of mistake pitches that hurt him. And then Garrett Acton ended up coming in and closing out that game again. Didn't get the save, but came in in the ninth inning, walked walls, hit vote to start the inning, and the Terps were... One man getting on away from bringing the tying run to the plate but couldn't get it done. They fell 5-1, to one, and you just felt like it was two of almost the same games. The only difference was the Terps offense rallied at the very end in game number one of the series. Didn't do that in game number two, a very similar game, but Illinois was able to even up the series. Exactly like you said, Connor. This was a big win for Illinois uh, as well, and it was just tough for those Maryland hitters. Like we said, couldn't get that big hit. And it's a shame because Zach Thompson had a really, really good start, which he had been struggling to do. But one trend that, like I said, we've been noticing is just Terps can't hit on Saturdays when Zach Thompson's up. But they had two games this time to try and do it. So game two into game, game, two into game three of the uh, weekend. And they took about a 45-minute break and then played game three of the series in that doubleheader on Saturday. It was Cirillo Watson, the junior righty for Illinois, getting the start against the freshman for the Terps. Trevor Labonte. Labonte had been struggling lately, giving up early runs, and he walked the first batter he faced in Ben Troike in that game, but was able to settle down and get some scoreless innings, and it was scoreless through two, and the Terps came up in the third inning against Cirillo Watson after Watson had gone three up, three down with three Ks in the first two innings, and Watson in the third, though, just could not get the Terps out in that inning. He hit Justin Vogt, he walked Josh McGuire, and after a Ben Cowles flyout, A.J. Lee gets the RBI single to give the Terps the lead, and then a big blow from Randy Bednar, a three-run shot to deep left field. And finally, over the weekend in Champaign, the Terps offense was able to get something going early and finally take a lead. The only other lead they had was in the ninth inning on Friday night. And Maryland has not had a lead in a baseball game, it seems like, in a really long time. So for them to get on the board like this, a crushed home run from Randy Bednar. They were really heating up. They were really motivated. And then it came down to Labonte and the bullpen to shut it down. So the Terps took a 4-0 lead in that third inning. Labonte gave up one run in the fourth to the Illini offense after a leadoff double from Zach Taylor. Kellen Sarver knocked him in with a sack fly later in the inning to make it 4-1, to one, but Labonte got through another scoreless inning in the fifth. The Terps offense went a little quiet, and then in the sixth inning, Labonte came back out there and did not get any help from his defense. 
made a good pitch to Michael Massey, who bounced one to first. It went under the glove of Maxwell Costas, ended up being a two-base error. Then made a good pitch to Zach Taylor, who bounced one to A.J. Lee. His throw goes wide of the bag at first, and all of a sudden, first and second with nobody out after a couple of errors. Labonte then gets a fly out, but then walks Cam McDonald, and the bases are loaded. Jack Yalowitz singles. They go station to station to make it 4-2. to two. Grant Van Scoy singles. They go station to station to make it 4-3. to three. And Labonte, none of those runs were earned because he should have been out of the inning, but just a little bit of defensive lapses from the Terps, and that really cost him in that inning. One thing I've been noticing all year is that Maryland's defense has been really, really good, and they just had a rough day here. Second game of doubleheader, who knows? You might be a little shaky, a little tired. Um, you know, playing on the road, it could be tough. And Maryland, uh, you know, gave away the lead here, but luckily they were able to come back. And so the Terps went to the bullpen, brought in Andrew Vale with the bases loaded and one away. And Jeff Cordy hit an RBI sack fly off of Vale with the bases loaded to tie the game at four. Vale then did get another fly out, so he got out of the inning with the game tied at four. And instead of the Terps offense, which had gone a little quiet after that four-run third inning, letting this game stay tied, they jumped right back on Illini pitching in inning number seven. Cirillo Watson was already out of the game. They ended up facing the right-hander Ryan Schmidt in that seventh inning, and the Terps got it done in the seventh. Ben Cowell singled with one away. A.J. Lee was walked, and then Randy Bednar poked one through the left side. Cowles came in to score, and the Terps took a 5-4 to four lead. And then another big blow from the Terps, another three-run homer. This one from Maxwell Costas felt like, not that it put the game away, but gave the Terps a huge late cushion. Maxwell Costas had been kind of cold at the plate lately, not hitting the big hits that we're used to him seeing from him, especially at the beginning of the year in non-conference play. But this, a really big shot for him, a nice home run, put the Terps up. It's exactly what you want to see from your freshman, someone who's really been stepping up to the plate. He's earned the starting first base job, which is somewhere where we didn't think he would be to start the year and showing exactly why he should stay there. The three-run homer gave him his first RBIs in almost a month since that Delaware away midweek when he drove in four runs. It had been a while for the Terps four-hitter. But he puts Maryland up 8-4 to four. in the bottom of the seventh end. The Terps come back out with Andrew Vale trying to get some outs from him in that seventh inning. Allows a leadoff single, gets a fly out. Then he hit Zach Taylor, walked Kellen Sarver, and all of a sudden the bases were loaded again with one away. The tying run was come to the plate in the form of the freshman Cam McDonald. Terps went to the bullpen and brought out the sophomore lefty Sean Fisher, who has not had a very good season, but... He'd had a couple of consecutive scoreless appearances, and he comes in, and what an incredible job he did. Gets a 6-4-3 double play on McDonald to end the inning, keep it 8-4, and then he goes 1-2-3 with a strikeout in the 8th and 1-2-3 with a strikeout in the ninth. We thought John Murphy might have been coming on in the ninth, even though it wasn't a safe situation to lock things down because he was available. But Fisher just rolled right through. He ends up going two and two-thirds scoreless with two strikeouts, retiring every batter he faced. And that was huge for not only Sean Fisher to get back that good stuff that we know he has, but also for the Terps because with a couple of injuries in the bullpen, Will Glock, we don't know if he'll be available for the rest of the year. Elliot Zollner dealing with a finger injury. If the Terps can get that out of Sean Fisher, that makes this a much better team as he locked down those final eight outs and gave the Terps a series win. Exactly, Connor. One thing that Maryland kind of has this year that they didn't have last year is a lot of depth in that bullpen. And that's really just in terms of how many arms there are. We have seen some struggles from the bullpen early in the year and especially recently. But for Sean Fisher to come out and have the appearance that he did, that is a big, big silver lining for Maryland, a weapon that they can use later on. They could build and be a setup man for John Murphy, give their starters a bit of a rest. So a really, really good uh, outing for Fisher and something the Terps could be really proud of. So Fisher did a nice job. And the Terps won it 8-4, to four, taking two of three in the series at Illinois, bringing them to 15-15 and 15 on the year. Three and three in the Big Ten. Of course, as we record this podcast on Monday, that is before the Terps have two midweek games this week. Tuesday, they host William and Mary, a team that beat them last week on the road. And then Wednesday, host a pretty good West Virginia team who's 21st in the RPI at the moment. That game will also be at the Bob. That's a West Virginia team that beat the Terps last year in Morgantown. So a couple of key midweek games that will be played after we have recorded this one. But when you hear this podcast, whether it's Thursday or Friday, whenever you're listening during the weekend, those games will have been played. But the timing didn't work out for us <laughs> to get those games in here. But a couple of midweeks for the Terps. But looking back on the weekend against Illinois, the Terps take two of three. Zach, I'll let you start. Who is your Terp of the week? 
My tip of the week, I'm going to let you pick a pitcher. I think that's what you're going to go with. So I'm going to go with one of the hitters, and I'm going to go with Randy Bednar. He had a really big hit on Friday night, and then in Game 3, that home run, that really kind of ignited him. He had been a little slow at the plate as of late. He'd been getting some good base running opportunities, but Bednar, to give the Terps the lead in that Game 3, which was the rubber game of the series, a really, really big at-bat for him uh, as the sophomore. He's been playing all over the place, played some center field, but he's been playing every day in right field. And that's, you know, something really good for him to get his back going because if it heats up going into the rest of Big Ten play, that's going to be a really good sign for Maryland at the top of the lineup. Yeah, Bednar had four hits this weekend. The double that really got the rally going in the ninth on Friday night. In game number two on Saturday, he had a single and a walk. And then in game three, of course, the three-run homer in the third. And then ended up having the game-winning hit with that RBI single in the seventh that gave the Terps a 5-4 to four lead. A very good choice for Bednar who, after that really hot start, it, Maybe not a slump, but seeing the bat go a little bit trending downwards, and that was a big weekend for him as he takes back the Maryland home run lead. I was between two pitchers. You can seemingly give it to Hunter Parsons every week, so this week I'm going to give it to Sean Fisher, who was so key out of the bullpen, as we just mentioned in Game 3 on Saturday. Two and two-thirds scoreless to finish out the game. He came just one out away from getting himself a save. Didn't end up being a save scenario, but he retired all seven batters he faced with a couple of strikeouts. He was great. He showed his good stuff. And the big thing about Fisher, that really the stats show, when he gets a first-pitch strike, he's one of the Terps' best relievers. When he throws a first-pitch ball, He's near the bottom half of the Terps relievers. All seven batters he faced on Saturday, he threw a first pitch strike. And I think that has a lot to do with what made Sean Fisher so important this weekend, made him so effective, and helped the Terps to a series win in Champaign over Illinois. And obviously another big part of the Terps series win was the senior A.J. Lee, who had a big weekend as well, started the rally in the ninth inning on Friday, had a hit, had a double and got on base twice in game one Saturday and got on base three times with a couple of singles and an RBI in game number three of the series on Saturday. And he's really been heating up since coming back from that calf injury. Obviously one of the captains and the leaders on this Maryland team as a senior. And I had a chance to sit down with A.J. Lee this week to talk about his journey in four years through Maryland, his role as a leader on this team, and as one of the best hitters on the Terps and really just his overall experience at Maryland and what he still has to give for this program, what he hopes he can get out of his senior year with the Terps. So here's my conversation with Terps senior shortstop and captain, A.J. Lee. A.J. Lee, ready for the 2-1 pitch from Raman Julu, who throws. Swung on, hit in the air to left. That one's going, it's high, and it is gone! A home run for A.J. Lee! His first one of the year, his first one of his senior campaign, and he now puts the Terps up 10-4. to And his first pitch to Lee is a fastball that's lined out towards right center field. Gorski going over towards the gap. He looks up, and it's gone. A.J. Lee leaves the yard on the first pitch, and it's a 2-1 ball game. And we welcome A.J. Lee to the podcast this week. A.J., thanks so much for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. So obviously I want to start with this season. And you started off a little slow and then suffered that injury down in Louisiana. But since then, you've been red hot at the plate. Did you feel anything click when you came back healthy? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was just getting back to get into a relaxed state. Um, early in the season when you're not having the success you want, it's kind of easy to fall into the struggles of, not being able to perform and getting out of your day-to-day, -day, but I think having that injury kind of just let me appreciate things a little more, and I just came back and, and enjoying the game a little bit better, and it's it's showing on the field a little bit. And it's a spot you've hit in before, but with Bubba dealing with a little bit of an injury, you're up in the leadoff spot now for the Terps. What's your comfort level there, and does that change anything at all when you you come out of the dugout first for the Terps? Uh, no, I try not to let it change what I'm doing at the plate. Um, I, li I like having that leadoff spot and being able to set the tone for the entire offense for the day, um, just bringing some energy to the plate, giving us a good leadoff at bat and setting the offense for the whole entire game. So, so I want to go back before Maryland for you, back at SJC in high school. Uh, what, what was the recruiting process like for you? Were there other schools you heavily considered? And then what eventually made you make the decision to come to College Park? Yeah, there were a couple schools I was considering going to. I took a, a couple visits. Um, Maryland was actually one of the last schools to recruit me, and uh, when I went on the visit there with, uh, obviously, Coach Jeff was the coach then. Uh, I kind of fell in love with the school. I fell in love with Vaughn as a hitting coach um, and all, all the staff that was there now. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, when I took the visit, it just felt like the right place, and it's been a great four years so far. And obviously, you came in, in a fr- as a freshman. You were behind some really good players on that team. Didn't see a lot of time in your freshman years. The Terps had a good season, didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. But obviously, you got that starting third base spot um, in 2017, and a great season. Third team, all Big Ten. You hit great. You played great defense on a team that went to an NCAA regional and maybe so far the best team you've probably been on at Maryland so far back in 2017. What do you think helped you make a leap and, you know, fit right into that starting role and be a big bat and a big glove for the Terps that year? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is I just had a group of guys around me that were so supportive and just let me play my game on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, I had Kevin Smith to my left who was tremendous here and he's he's doing great things now and Nick Dunn also in the middle so just having those guys around me just let me play a little bit more comfortable knowing that they're going to have my back um and it was an easy transition knowing that you have a lineup full of studs who are going to get it done no matter what's going to happen so and you guys you know obviously made it to the Big Ten tournament made a little run and then made it down to Wake Forest for the NCAA regional and that's the one time so far you've been to a regional what did you learn from that NCAA experience and did it leave a little bit of taste in your mouth, like, I really want to get back here? Yeah, for sure. It's a great experience. Um, it definitely shows it doesn't matter really how you start because we, uh, we kind of started slow that year, but obviously finished pretty well. So it's not about how you start. It's uh, it's obviously about the second half of the season. Um, and and we de- we're definitely working hard to get back there because it's a great feeling once you get there. And once you get there, anything can happen. So And, and you guys did get to that NCAA regional in 2017. But the Terps in your freshman year didn't make it after back-to-back super regionals. Did you and any of the guys who were in your recruiting class, did you feel any pressure coming into that situation knowing the team was coming off back-to-back supers? And did you feel any pressure to keep growing this program? Uh, I don't think we really felt any pressure to get back to where we were. Um, obviously, we weren't here for it, so we were just stepping on campus trying to trying to make an impact for the team any way we could. Um, we, we didn't really feel the pressure to get back to the regional or, or make the NCAA tournament or anything like that. We were just trying to play our game and bring a lot to the team, a lot of energy and a lot of fun. And obviously, we talked about your great 2017 season. And last year, you get to make the move over to shortstop. You stay in the starting lineup as a junior for the Terps. But the numbers went down a little bit. And probably by your standards, a little bit of a down year at the plate. I know you've talked about this a lot, obviously. But what do you think it was that happened last season? And what did you learn from you know a little bit of a slump in your junior year? Yeah, obviously, junior year is a big year for college guys. Just kind of the pressure of the draft and everything like that. Um, and subconsciously, like, Nobody really wants to admit it, but it's always on your mind a little bit. So I think just taking a look back at last season, just I was just feeling the pressure a little bit. And so coming out this season, I'm just all I'm really concerned about is winning for the team and doing anything I can to make sure that happens. And you talk about a little pressure, but one positive move you made, you got to go back to shortstop. Did did that help you relax a little bit? Just getting back to you know, obviously a position that you probably wanted to play when you got here in 2016 in Maryland. Yeah, well, I played shortstop all in high school and. And obviously, it's 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 one I'm pretty comfortable with. Uh, but anytime you transition to a new position, no matter how how long it's been since you played there, it's a, it's a little tough at first. So I definitely had to get my feet wet back again and just just get back more comfortably in the middle. And obviously, with some seniors leaving after last season and some of the guys from your recruiting class going to the draft last year, you come into this year just one of four seniors on the team, and just one of three guys that are from your original recruiting class that are still on this Terps team. So this year as a senior, as a captain, what kind of leadership role do you feel like you've taken on? Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing for me is just making sure that the younger guys know know the standard here and know, and know what we're about here at Maryland Baseball. And uh, I think me and the other three seniors have done a pretty good job of that since day one, um, just holding people accountable to a high standard and making sure that things aren't slipping through the cracks. Um, and yeah, I mean, our, our young guys have stepped up for us a lot. We've had a young guys in our lineup who, who've really made a name for themselves so far and, and just keeping them on the straight and narrow and making sure they're doing their things on a day-to-day basis has really helped us a lot. And obviously there's not a lot of seniors on this Terps team, as you said, and even less that have been a Terp for four years. It's you, Murph and Hunter Parsons. Do you guys feel that you take it a little bit more on yourselves that we're really the the only guys on this team who have been through it all at Maryland? And does that you feel like that brings you guys together? And you know, you feel like you have to help a lot of these younger guys because of that? Yeah, for sure. Me, Murph, and Hunter, we're we're, we're tighter than we've ever been. Um, we've been through the ringer here, uh, ups and downs, and we've had some really high years and some really low years. All three of us individually and as a team. So I think 
just being through those struggles together has really brought us close as a as a unit and and we're just doing our best to make sure that we can put ourselves in good spots to win every game and, and be where we want to be and in a senior season like this do you guys talk about it do you think about you know leaving a legacy here at maryland especially being four-year guys uh we, we don't really talk about it too much uh we just try to enjoy every moment we have with with a group of our guys because we don't really know when it's going to end so just enjoying every moment every pitch uh that's that's really our main focus um trying not to do too much and look too far ahead and just make sure we enjoy every moment that we have with these guys and and you mentioned some of the younger guys and one of those guys is ben cowles who came in as a pretty highly ranked recruit for this terps team and uh, he got in there at second base. When you went out with the injury, he moved over to short for a while. Now Cal's back at second. How much have you helped him overall, and then especially when you were out for a little bit and he was filling in for you at shortstop? Yeah, Cal's he's going he's gonna to be a great player. Um, he stepped foot on campus ready to work and ready to learn, and that's one thing that he, he's always done no matter if he's doing well or do, he's doing not so well. He's, he's always ready to learn new things and, and just try different things out. Um, he's definitely an open-minded kid, and, Definitely, I can say say some stuff to him about the infield, and he he's all about it and all listening. And if he keeps like that, he's going to be real special. And you know, what kind of experience has it been for you? Because through your four years, you've been on a lot of teams with a lot of good veteran players, a lot of good guys who stayed here till they were juniors and seniors. And now you're on, you know, you're one of the few seniors on this really young team, surrounded by so many freshmen and even guys who are new to the might be juniors. But new to the program, so many guys like that. What's that experience been for you? Kind of being on the other side of it a little bit. I think it's. I think it's been really good for me. Um, I've definitely been behind some older guys who who have kind of taught me some things. So now I get the chance to teach these young guys different tidbits and things I know about certain facets of the game. Um, it's definitely it's definitely pretty cool to see these young guys grow from the day they step foot on campus to where we are now, and and just to be a part of that is pretty special. Um, and just to keep showing these guys the ringer and making things as easy for them as possible so they can teach the next guys that come in and make this program even more special. And you worked with so many players, obviously multiple different coaches with a coaching change going on during your career. So you look back to freshman year, A.J. Lee. In what areas do you think you've really grown in your four years as a term? I think I've just matured a lot, uh, both physically and mentally. Um, I stepped foot on campus at 160 pounds, soaking wet. Um, worked really hard to get... I'm still not the biggest kid, but I've worked really hard to get a little bit bigger, get a little stronger, um, and definitely the mental part has grown a lot. Um, I remember stepping foot on campus, just being down. I wasn't playing every day, and, and then coming in as a sophomore and playing and just growing every day. It's definitely helped me learn that there's going to be some ups and downs even in life, but you got to push through them and make the best of what you got. And you talked about it being on your mind last season after that great sophomore year, and now your numbers, at least, just looking on paper, are, are are back up again, especially since coming back from the injury. So you obviously want to make the most of your senior season, but how much does what your plan, you know, possibly at the next level, leak into your head at all this season? Uh, honestly, it hasn't re really been in there at all. Um, I'm really just focused on this team and just making the most of winning every day and make sure we practice hard every day, get our, get our stuff done in the weight room and compete really hard on the field. Um, I haven't really been thinking about the future too much because this could be my last season, so I want to make sure that we go as far as we can and play as hard as we can and see what happens. Do you think when it's all said and done, that'll be a goal of yours, though, to keep playing baseball after this season? For sure. I think that's a, that's a goal of a lot of college guys, especially on our team, the seniors. Um, we just want to play as long as we can, but I know a lot of us don't try to look too far ahead because uh, – like I said, this could be our last season together, and we want to make the most of it. And you talk about making the most of it. You know, on paper, people around college baseball might look at this team, see all the youth especially, and put on top of that what happened last season and maybe not think a lot of this team. But I think what got proved last week in Champaign is it not? it's not about what's on paper. Uh, it's about how you play on the field. So looking at that, looking at the guys around you, and, you know, having that feeling of not making the postseason last year, how how far do you think this team can go in your final season? Uh, I think I think we, we hold all the chips in our table. I think we can go as far as we allow ourselves. Um, Coach Vaughn says it all the time. The freshmen aren't freshmen about this time in the season anymore. We've had a lot of guys step up like Maxwell Costas and Josh McGuire. They're doing pretty big things for us in the lineup so far. And I think, I think we, we are in charge of our future however far we want to go. And the work we want to put in is where we're going to go. 
And you talked about Coach Rob Vaughn. You you went through the transition right with him, him becoming the head coach as you played under John Chef for two years, now Rob Vaughn for two years. What's your relationship been like with him, you know, being one of the few players who's kind of gone through that coaching change with him and still here with the Terps? It's been awesome. Uh, he, he's done a great job with since day one he stepped foot as the, as the head coach. Um, him and all the other staff have been really open with us, and, and they do a really good job with us on a day-to-day, make sure we stay stay grounded and get our work in. And It's it's really showing this season. Um, we, we definitely have a lot of young guys who are stepping up, like I said, and even the older guys have improved greatly from last season. Um, so I, it's it's been great so far. And, you know, going a little bit away from off-the-field stuff, but especially with your change this week, I want to talk about walk-up songs. Because back, back in your sophomore season – uh, no problem. My chance the rapper was your walk-up song, and I feel like a lot of people thought that was the best walk-up song on the Terps. Now this season, when we came back home to take on William and Mary and West Virginia in the midweek, you changed it to Old Town Road. Now what went into that change? And I, I gotta ask, was anybody else fighting for that one? And then did you pull the senior card to get that one to be yours this week? Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I heard it, I heard it probably a couple weeks ago when it when it went pretty big. And I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks now. Everybody on the team's been listening to it, and you know. I, I can was, attest. Everybody on the team and the staff. Has been yeah, for to sure. It. So I just thought, why not make it my walk up? Uh, I mean, it's my senior year. Why not make something I want to do? Um, I de- but when I did make it my walk up, Caleb Walls did say he wanted to make it, but I already told him I already did it. So. Can we expect that for the rest of the season at the Bob? Yeah, it's not going to change. <laughs> it's going to be there. Well, th- well, that's great news. And last thing, AJ, you know, you talked about you know, setting goals with this team and not wanting your senior season to end. And a lot of things that this coaching staff talks about is your mindset and visualization and things like that. You know, when you visualize your senior season, what do you visualize that ending like for you? Uh, I visualize this team going pretty far. I mean, I, I try not to stay off the, the big picture here, but I've, I think we can I think we can do some big things here if we if we stay in our daily thing and, and stay in our preparation and our and our and our mindset stays grounded and stuff like that. Um, I, I think if we get too caught up in what's what's in the outside and what other people are saying about us, that's when we can get into some trouble. But if we stay in our group and stay tight knit like we've been so far here, I think we can do some pretty special things. And do you think after, you know, col- not just college baseball, but college is all said and done, you're going to be one of those guys who, you know, reps that you're a Turk terp for a long time oh for sure i'll be at all the games from the time i can't walk anymore i'll be at the bob supporting the terps for sure well thanks aj for joining us this week on the podcast thank you i appreciate it so our thanks again to terp senior shortstop aj lee for joining us and of course Zach, AJ has been such a big part of this Terps program for four years, and after he had that great season in 2017 as a sophomore, third team, all Big Ten, he struggled a little bit last year, but the bat is back this year. The defense has been much better for AJ, and he's just shown so many good leadership qualities, and he's one of the most important Terps on this team. Absolutely, and it's exactly the kind of leadership you need from someone who's a captain. One thing that stands out to me, Connor, is a couple of weeks ago, AJ Lee, in the Creighton series it was here in College Park, uh, Chris Aline had been hurt for the middle game of that series, wasn't feeling that well, so the center field spot was open, and A.J. Lee stepped up to the plate. He played center field for that game, and I asked him about it the next day, and he said, I played center field before. It was you know, nothing new to me. I was uh, happy to do it, and that's just something you want to see from your captain. A.J. Lee, one of the leaders of this Terps team, obviously, and he's going to be a big part of the Terps down the stretch if they to continue to get Big Ten wins and get back into the Big Ten tournament, something they weren't able to do for the first time in his career last year in 2018. And, of course, for the Terps, the Big Ten schedule continues this upcoming weekend with three games in Evanston, Illinois, against the Northwestern Wildcats. This Northwestern team, 14-14 and 14 on the year, 4-2 and two in the Big Ten, coming off of a series sweep in Columbus, Ohio, against the Buckeyes. And this is a Northwestern team that did not have a good season last year. They won only 17 games. They did not play well in the Big Ten at all. Lost 14 of their first 15 conference games last year. But this year, this is kind of a scrappy Northwestern team. They've got the Dunn brothers at the top of the lineup, Jack Dunn and David Dunn, both hitting over 340. They've got a starting rotation that's kind of pieced together with the bullpen. But again, just kind of personifying Big Ten baseball. You get some hits here, some slap hits. They like to bunt, 
and they're just one of those scrappy teams in the Big Ten who I think could make a little noise this year. This will be a good series in Evanston. Absolutely. This is a Northwestern team that's won eight of their last nine. They have a midweek this week against Milwaukee, which will probably be done by the time you hear this. But this is still a really good team in Northwestern that's playing well as of late. They're 14 and 14, so you're going to have two teams sitting around 500 when they play in Evanston this weekend. And it's just going to be a really good uh, chance to see exactly where Maryland falls in this Big Ten uh, standings and where Northwestern falls. It's going to be a good series. I think the Illinois one was a, a really good win for Maryland, and they've got the road wins in their pocket in their back pocket now. So if they can go into Evanston again and give Northwestern a run for their money, they have a really good chance of winning a couple games. And to further break down the Northwestern Wildcats baseball team this season, we had a chat with Amit Malik, who covers the team for WNUR Sports, the student radio station at Northwestern. And he had some time with me last week, this week, excuse me, to talk about Northwestern baseball and what has made this team so scrappy and allow them to have so much success over the last couple of weeks and get that sweep against the Buckeyes. And it should be a good series this weekend. So here is my conversation with Amit. So we welcome in Amit Malik from WNUR Sports, who covers the Northwestern Wildcats here to the podcast. And Amit, thanks so much for taking some time this week. Thanks for having me on, Connor. I really appreciate it. And so obviously you want to get to the Wildcats, and you have to start with this streak this team is on. They're playing some good baseball right now, a couple of sweeps in a row including this weekend on the road against Ohio State. And Ohio State maybe not one of the top three or four teams in the Big Ten, but that's still a really good road sweep. What did you feel like was the difference in this team to turn it on, especially this weekend in Big Ten play? I think that their bullpen was really the key for them this weekend. Over 14 innings pitched, the bullpen allowed just two runs, which was really impressive. And... Their, their lineup has also found ways to be productive. They come back in a few of these games, which is different from how they were early in the season, where they could get down in the game and they didn't really have the bats to wake up. And, you know, Northwestern's not a team that's good enough to flip a switch. Like, you generally see that for really good teams. Like, do that when it matters. They just kind of played differently since the start of Big Ten play. I know they only took one game against Purdue, but all three of those games were competitive, and that is just different from how things went at non-conference against Missouri, Kent State. Uh, those series just didn't go well for Northwestern. They're playing a completely different team, and you know you can't discount what happened then. Those issues are still present, but they just look different, and some of it is they feel like a different team, so they're just playing better. And they can ride a lot on their confidence, I think, more than other teams. And the Wildcats at the moment, 14-14, and 4-2 and two in the conference. They have a midweek game coming up this week against Milwaukee before taking on the Terps. And you mentioned that offense getting it done, and it's a lot of guys who the Terps have seen a lot. I mean, these two teams have played a lot of times in the past couple of years. And it starts with the Duns, who are both just raking right now. David and Jack Dunn leading this team in hitting. Do they seem to be the go-to guys in this lineup so far? Yeah, 100%. Jack Dunn, leading off, has really been excellent his whole career for Western. But his senior season, he, he's even taken further strides. Um, about as good of a lead-off hitter as you could ask for. Um, and then his brother, David Dunn, is just su- super electric. He's a guy that makes big plays. He loves the big moments. And, uh, you know, in the middle of the lineup, he's been excellent. And then I think recently what's worked really well for Northwestern is they've gotten some production from other parts of their order. Willie Bourbon is another senior who has obviously been around um, around this team, and he's contributing. And when they have him as a power bat, it really helps. And then a guy in first year like Sean Gusenberg has stepped up, and that's really helped them. So their lineup, you know, it's a lot of guys on paper that don't scream out at you as threats, but they do have the two Dunn brothers, and they've got a lot of tough outs. So they're going to try to get on the bases and – just do some damage, and then hopefully that their their big playmaking guys can come up. And that didn't work at the start of the season, but when it does, you know they're they're a threat against anyone, and that's why it's worked for them. And I I think the other thing about Maryland that you were mentioning, they saw these guys last year. They played two close games. Northwestern took one. You know, obviously two years ago there was a big series at Maryland that Northwestern took, and they met for two really big matchups in the Big Ten tournament. And, 
I don't know how much Maryland remembers this Northwestern team, how much of that factors into, like, how much headspace Northwestern is occupying. But I know Northwestern remembers that, those games. Two years ago was really the year for Northwestern in kind of this decade, and they're trying to get back to that level, which they weren't even 500 that year, but the fact that they made a huge run of the Big Ten tournament means something. And so they remember the, the Maryland series. They remember playing Maryland in, in a lot of great games. So at home, I think it, it, they'll be up for it for sure. And you, we, we talk about these offensive guys, and especially Jack Dunn, who the Turks have seen a lot of, but David Dunn, and you mentioned Goosenberg as well. Those are the top three hitters as far as average. Dunn hitting over 360, Jack Dunn hitting over 360, David Dunn over 340. But you combine those three guys, they only combine for two home runs. The entire offense has hit 13 long balls this season. Obviously, on paper at least, this isn't a power-hitting team. The Terps saw a team like Indiana a couple weeks ago who all they do is hit homers. So in what different ways does Spencer Allen kind of have this team put together runs without the long ball? Yeah, I kind of mentioned it. They, they want to get on base. They want to just run and cause chaos. You know, they, they forced four uh, errors against Ohio State in the 13-5 win. Uh, they, they just they, they bunt a lot. They're not afraid to steal. You've got guys like Dunn, Arrow, both Dunn brothers, and Ben Dickey can all steal bases. So... Those guys, and, and Charlie Maxwell, who started the season in the lineup, is now kind of out of it, but he's another guy that's a threat to run. So they're going to single, they're going to bunt, and they'll play small ball. They squeeze twice this weekend in big situations. They'll use sack flies. They'll really do whatever they can to try to produce runs. And, you know, if it's a close game and a guy gets on, you like they, the most likely thing that Spencer Allen would do is go to that bunt. And, you know, some people, you know, the numbers say maybe that's not the best thing to do, but they don't have a ton of power hitting on this team. You, you alluded to it, and, you know, every once in a while, Willie Bourbon can hit a home run, but otherwise, they're going to just try to scratch them across and hope their pitching can carry them. Do you feel like that's any sort of a philosophy change at all from a couple of, well, I mean, last season was a tough season for Northwestern, or is it just better execution this year in 2019? Um, I think that's kind of always been the philosophy. They never really had a ton of power hitters here, at least on their Spencer Allen. You know, two years ago, they had Joe Hoshe, and that kind of changed things. He was a one-man wrecking ball in the middle of the order. But even then, they've always been aggressive on the base pass. And I think last year, they got even more aggressive than they had been because they didn't have Joe Hoshe to Matt Hoffer. So they wanted to commit a, they, they wanted to commit to being more aggressive, and the results just weren't great. They didn't get on base a lot. Last year it was kind of just a, a lost season pretty early on, which was frustrating for them. And the philosophy, I think, is similar. I think they hope they can hit for power. They're, they're telling the guys, hey, we need to get more doubles and triples, but you know, you're limited to the guys you have in your lineup. And for most of them, you know, outside of Willie Bourbon and you know, Casey O'Loughlin's a guy with a little bit of power, but that's really just not their MO. So they're going to hit singles, try to extend singles into doubles, with their, with their running and steal and play small ball. And that's, it's just working better this year. And it's the type of thing where they're, they're confident and they, they're just playing well. It, it works for them, but it can dry up in a second. And you, you, you might see that, you know, if things get, go cold, this is another team that's pro, prone to not scoring for 9, 12, 13 innings at a time because they, they can't get anything. And – you know, Maryland has a similar problem, so it could be interesting to see between these two teams this weekend. But guys that will try to keep the bats down as we go over to the Wildcats pitching. And obviously you start with the Friday night guy, the sophomore Quinn LaBelle. I mean, he had a good season last year, but I think his coming out party had to be in his start in College Park against Maryland last year. Threw a complete game shutout, completely baffled the Terps hitters, and he's been good again this year. So I know there's been some change-ups at the back end of the rotation, but how big has it been for Northwestern to have him every Friday night be a solid left-hander. Yeah, coming into the season, they thought Hank Christie would be that guy for them because Hank is another guy that's been reliable. He pitched pretty well, um, you know, two years ago. And last year, didn't have a great year, but they thought he'd be a guy. He actually started the season off with two great Friday night starts. And then Quinn was just more consistent on Sunday, and now he's taken over. And I think it's been a great move for Northwestern to just say, hey, Quinn's our hot guy right now. You know, he was good last year, and now he looks the part of a Friday night guy. And to go out and get a quality start is huge. He wasn't even great against Ohio State. But the fact that he was able to stay in and go seven innings 
just gave Northwestern that confidence boost to get back in the game, and, and then their bullpen, you know, you know, shut it down the last three innings, last two innings of the ball game. So I, I think it's great to have Quinn, but the thing to remember with him is like we say Friday night guy, but in your mind when you, when you think of some of the Friday night guys around the Big Ten and especially around collegiate baseball, you're thinking of some studs that have a lot of overpowering stuff. And that's not necessarily Quinn Lavelle. He's he's just consistent. He attacks the zone and you know, he gets weak contact and you know, there's a lot of guys that have that as their the way they pitch. He's just not—he's not an overpowering guy, so it's not like going to be that Maryland's going to come in and be swinging at crazy curveballs or getting overpowered by a fastball. He's just crafty. He plays with timing a lot. He plays with arm slot delivery, and he just doesn't get rattled out there. So that's what I mean by he's consistent and it helps to have him as starting. And, and you know, going beyond that a little. They're in total flux right now with the other two starting spots. You know, this weekend they went to Tommy DeLeese and Mike Doherty. It could be two different guys next weekend, especially because Hank Christie didn't, didn't pitch last weekend. So and we'll see what they do, but it does help that they have at least some consistency for Friday. And I wanted to get to that Saturday and Sunday. Last season, it was Christie on Saturday and Pagliarini on Sunday that the Terps saw in that series. And those two guys are back, but... Pagliarini has struggled this year, and as you said, Hank Christie didn't pitch. So they went with a couple of freshmen this weekend, and they really didn't get deep into games, but Northwestern won both games. Was that somewhat of a, all right, let's get their feet wet as weekend starters, or did Spencer Allen just really feel that his bullpen coming in early gave the Wildcats the best chance to win? Um, I think it's the latter. I think Spencer Allen probably thought, and Josh Reynolds in both of those games, it's going to be a bullpen game, and we're going to need some big outs from our guys because we we probably can't trust anyone to really go more than two or three innings. And the big surprise, of course, was Ryan Bader, who had, I think, the best performance of his career on Saturday, throwing five innings, allowing just one run. No one saw that coming. This is a guy that has struggled a bit in his career. Definitely has some promise as a lefty, but no one expected him to be that good. Um, and, and again, we'll see if we can keep it up. It, it might have been just, you know, any, any, everyone, you know, once in a while could go out and have a really great performance. But that, to them, you know, saved their arms for the bullpen. It allowed them not to have to overuse anyone. And it, five innings on Saturday after a two-inning start is just huge. So, if you know, if you don't see Hank Christie out on Saturday or Sunday, I would expect two more bullpen type of games. And... I think they got a little bit lucky that Bader was that good. It, it allowed them not to have to play their hand a little bit, but we'll see what happens. I, it'd be tough for them to replicate that, but if they do, you know, that's the type of team they're going to be right now. It's going to work. And so you feel like after Lavelle on Fridays at this point, it's just going to be Allen and Reynolds really just matching up and seeing who's going to fit best down the stretch on these other two weekend games. I would go with that. I think Mike Doherty pitched a midweeker, and this is a guy that was recruited to come and be a starting pitcher. They have a lot of confidence in him. Uh, I, you know, he only pitched two innings, gave up a run. That's not entirely impressive, but they'll probably give him the starting leash and say, "Can you give us three or four innings?" And then Sunday, you know, Tommy DeLeese was a bit of a shock. They might go to him again. They could go to a guy like Parker Hanks. Um, they, they have some options. Maybe Hank is back again. And we'll see how, what happens on Tuesday at Milwaukee. I think that could be a Hank or Doherty game. Just as, as, it'll definitely be an opener either way. They won't. I doubt they'll throw more than four innings, but both days I, I think will be kind of a toss-up. You won't know. I would say Doherty has probably earned himself another Saturday start, but anything, I don't know how he could go more than three or four innings. And you talk about that bullpen, and it seems like they'll play a huge role in this weekend's three-game series in Evanston. And you talked a little bit about Ryan Bader, how he had a great performance out of the pen. And there's a lot of arms who have been used. Are there guys who Spencer Allen and Josh Reynolds say, like, this is my setup man, this is my closer? Or are there other are there guys just pitching in different roles whenever the matchups work? I think it's a little bit of both. I think in an ideal world, on Friday, they could get – to the eighth inning and throw Sam Lawrence and then throw Nick Pachorik, which is what they did on Friday against Ohio State. And Lawrence and Pachorik 
through two great innings. But it's not always a perfect world. And then they can't really do that on Saturday and Sunday. So on Saturday, you saw Morris, and Sunday, you saw Petrorik. I think Petrorik is nominally the closer, but they won't pitch him every three games in a series. So if there's three close games, you could get Sam Morris on one of those in the ninth inning. But I think those are the two, like, most trusted arms at the back of the bullpen. But they're not good enough to me. Like, I, I think the team feels confident in them, and they should. They're not good enough to me, though, to be like, this is the ninth inning every game. Like, they will be flexible, and they will see the matchups. And if someone pitches poorly, they have to rethink what they're doing. So I'd say Petro- uh, Lawrence Petrovic 8-9, but after Friday, things could change. And there's not a lot of trust in other guys, but they have to throw some. So Josh Levy, Anthony Alibra, they're guys that had some big middle relief this weekend. Those are the next set of guys that you kind of look at, but the confidence dip between the first two and the second two is, is a big golf right now. And looking back to last season where obviously the Wildcats had a disappointing year at just 17-32, and 32, and obviously this team so far looks to be more talented. It added some pieces, but a lot of the core of that lineup is still there, and you know, a lot of last season was just that tough, tough start to Big Ten play where it almost seemed like the Wildcats couldn't pick up a conference win. Now they start 4-2. and two. Does this seem like, all right, with a good start, this team gets rolling and can kickstart them back to the Big Ten tournament? I 100% agree with that. I think, you know, this team, it, it, the mental side of it is big for them. And, you know, non-conference, you know, every year they kind of have gotten batted around by some, some strong teams across the country and it's a new season in Big Ten play right because all they want to do is get to the Big Ten tournament let's see what noise we can make can we get to 500 or above in Big Ten play and so they did that two years ago and two years ago you have to remember they were in a bad spot I think they were 6-18 and 18 or something like that before they you know really went from run in Big Ten play this team very similar you know Purdue didn't go that well, but San Jose State, they got a sweep, and it was like, okay, we've got some momentum. It's still early in the Big Ten season. And then Ohio State happened, and I guarantee you this team is feeling like it can do something in Big Ten play and do something in the Big Ten tournament. To me, it's all confidence. And no matter what happened early in the season, they're just going to go out and play loose, feel like they can be a top-half team in the Big Ten. So last year, I think what happened is you lose some early Big Ten series, and it's like, well, this is our new season. That's not even going well. So, you know, and not that I would never say that any team threw it in or, or didn't start truck stop, didn't try, but it just felt like, okay, this is lost. We don't even have anything to play for. They know that everything is in these 24 Big Ten games. The 4 and 2 start is awesome for them. So they are really, you know, juiced up and motivated, and I think they, they, they feel really confident right now. And if any team in the Big Ten lives by the mantra of let's just get to the Big Ten tournament, it's got to be Northwestern after just getting there in 2017 and going all the way to the final. Exactly, exactly. And that's it for them. And look, the program, their expectation is eventually we want to make an NCAA tournament. Every team wants to do that. But it's been tough sledding here in Evanston. It's not a baseball school. They haven't had a ton of success. And, you know, they have, they've had some guys come out of this program that play in the major leagues, but not a ton. But... Spencer came in and he knew what he had. And I think to build, you have to build, you have to set goals, build foundations. And right now, the goal for this program is, can we make a Big Ten tournament almost every season? Can we do it every season? And it's hard to do that given where they've been, but they did it in 2017. And you thought that could have been something. And last year was super disappointing. So this year, you know, it's not a huge step. You can't take two steps. They have to get to the first step, which is, can they make the Big Ten tournament? And for them, it's all about a hot streak. Let's put together two months of good baseball, get there, and then next year we could say, all right, we did that. Let's try to finish higher. Let's think about NCAA tournament. Right now, that's all this team wants. And finally, you have this Northwestern team coming off a sweep on the road against Ohio State. You have a Terps team coming off a sweep, or excuse me, a two out of three on the road against a good Illinois team. So both teams feeling good. What would you say if you had to put one key to Northwestern taking another Big Ten series this weekend against the Terps. 100% it's the bullpen. Uh, I love what they did against Ohio State, but to me, I don't know how sustainable that is. 
That's what I want to find out this weekend. If the bullpen is good, they can win two games against Maryland. And if it's not, Maryland's good enough to make the pay, right? So if the bullpen holds up, if those guys that have all kind of floated between weird rules, guys that, you know, you look at Peter, Pag, Marini, Elite, Brolevi, they all have not had great starts in the season, but they were good against Ohio State. So what's their true talent level? Where are these guys? How locked in are these guys? And if the bullpen comes in and holds it down, the offense will find a way to put up, you know, enough runs. Not Maybe not enough to win every game, but they're going to give you runs. So if the bullpen can lock it down and hold Maryland to two, three, four, maybe five runs a game, that might be the high end around there. They'll like their chances. So that to me is the huge key. And that's, that's assuming, I'm assuming that the offense will do its part and put up enough to win. Well, Mitt, thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast and sharing some Northwestern baseball knowledge. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Amit Malik for joining us this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast to talk some Northwestern baseball. And Zach, I think one of the most important parts of that conversation is you know, Northwestern really doesn't have a set weekend rotation right now. You look at Friday nights and you know who you're going to get. It's Quinn Lavelle who came into College Park last year. And although the Terps took two of three in that series in College Park, Lavelle was dominant on Friday night. That was the only game Northwestern won. He pitched a complete game shutout against the Terps. He's kind of a soft-tossing left-hander, throws it from a bunch of different arm slots, throws a bunch of different pitches, likes to mix them. But after him... There's a lot of questions. Last year, it was Hank Christie and Jack Pagliarini who started the two games on the weekend. This year, those two are still on the team and have started some games, but they didn't start last weekend in the series against Ohio State for Northwestern, as Amit talked about. They went with a couple of freshmen. Uh, Tommy DeLise got a start, as did Mike Doherty. So there's a lot of questions in the starting rotation, which means the Terps really, without trying, are going to get to this Northwestern bullpen. It's going to be interesting between these two bullpens because they both have established Friday night guys. And although the Terps have a set rotation, you know, Zach Thompson and Trevor Labonte have had a little bit of trouble getting deep into games sometimes. So we'll see about these two bullpens. A lot of arms, a lot of question marks. It's going to make this a really interesting series. I think so. I was saying how evenly matched these teams are, but where Northwestern might have a bit of a a different advantage than Maryland is that they don't use the weekend starters. So TBA is going to be that opponent that Maryland's going to have to worry about this weekend. And uh, when they don't have the scouting reports on a lot of those bullpen pitchers, especially if, you know, Northwestern, I could see throwing someone who has never made a start in their career just to throw Maryland off a bit. And that's somewhere where you kind of can place an advantage on a team when someone, as long as they're calm, making their first start. You know, we saw it with Tuck Tucker for Maryland a couple weeks ago. Probably didn't expect him to go more than two innings. He went five and allowed one hit and one run. So... That's going to be something that Northwestern I could see doing this weekend. It'll be interesting to see. Of course, we've seen a lot of these two teams playing over the past two seasons. Last year, they met in College Park. As I said, Quinn Lavelle was dominant on Friday night. Northwestern won the first game. But the Terps had two of their more exciting wins of last season on Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, it was a Taylor Wright walk-off walk with the bases loaded in the 10th inning as the Terps even the series. And then Sunday was probably the most exciting win for the Terps last year. Kevin Biondic with the Terps down by one, hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth. Then in the top of the ninth when John Murphy loaded the bases in two outs, Biondic came on and had to get the save. Ended up with the game-winning hit and the save as the Terps took the series. Back in 2017, these two teams met five times. They met for a series in College Park near the end of the season in which the Wildcats actually took two of three from this Terps team, including an Alex Arrow go-ahead homer in the 11th inning on Sunday to take the series in that one. And then they met twice in the Big Ten tournament. The Terps won the first one to stay alive, but then Northwestern won the second one back when Hunter Parsons actually had to start a game after he was through a really rough sophomore season and kind of got thrown into the fire in that game. And Northwestern went to the Big Ten championship game that year and lost to Iowa, obviously not allowing them to get to the NCAA tournament. They did not get an at-large bid. But these two teams have played eight times in the past two seasons. They know a lot about each other, which I think should make this series even better between two teams who maybe weren't picked to finish in the top eight of the Big Ten. But right now they both sit in the top eight and both have their eyes on the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, exactly, Connor. So it's going to be, like I said, a very exciting series. 
you'll be there for the action. And I think it's going to be a good one. Second week in a row that Maryland has to travel to Illinois. But it's going to be the only travel, like long uh, travel with a flight that they have to do for a while. So if they can get this out of the way and take at least two of these three games, it's going to be really big for Maryland. So for the Terps in Evanston this upcoming weekend against the Northwestern Wildcats, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Friday game is at 4.30 Eastern time against the Wildcats. As after my weekend in Champaign, I have figured out the different time <laughs> zones between Central and Eastern. So 4.30 Eastern time on Friday. That'll be Hunter Parsons versus Quinn Lavelle. We know that. The Terps pregame show will start at 4 o'clock. I'll be on the call alongside Taylor Smythe for that one live from Evanston. On Saturday, it'll be a 3 p.m. Eastern time start between the Terps and the Wildcats. Terps pregame at 2.30. It'll be Zach Thompson for Maryland. We really don't know who it'll be for Northwestern. And then on Sunday, 1 o'clock Eastern time for the series finale, Trevor Labonte for the Terps. And again, the TBA for the Wildcats for those three games for the Terps. Obviously, you can hear all three right here on the Maryland Baseball Network. So, we thank A.J. Lee so much this week for coming on the MBN podcast, the Terps senior captain. And we thank Amit Malik from WNUR in Northwestern who covers the Wildcats for taking some time to break down the Cats this week on the podcast. And we hope you enjoyed both of their inputs here on this episode. So for my partner, Zach Solon, and our entire MBN crew, I'm Connor Newcomb saying Thank you for listening to episode number 64 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you tune in this weekend as the Terps have three games on the road in Evanston against Northwestern. And you can hear all the action right here on the Maryland Baseball Network. We thank you so much for listening. <laughs>